precious and mighty name of Jesus. Lord, today we thank you that in the hearing of your word, Lord, we have uh, eyes to, to perceive Jesus and understand the truth. We thank you, O oh God, that today you teach us, you instruct us, you equip us, you correct us, Lord, and, and you show us all that you're leading us into and the good works you've provided for us. I thank you for each and every person here that in the hearing of your word, faith has come and you are lifting us up and leading us towards all that you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you guys ready for today? Yeah. All right, well, if you are, go ahead and say this with us. Say, I have ears to hear. I have eyes to perceive. And I have a heart that's ready to understand and receive the living word of God. Now, come on now, give it up for Jesus. God has been good. Today, we are digging in and continuing in the latest series that we've been in entitled True Lies. True lies, and what we've been addressing are the many lies that we've allowed to become our truth. We've accepted these things as truth. Now, I know that that sounds kind of like it doesn't make sense, but the truth is this. Think about this. Each and every one of us knows what it is to believe a lie. I'll prove it to you. It went wrong, and you thought it was right. It didn't work. You ever been there? Okay, some of you just got it. No problem. I pray you're listening today. But here's the thing. The problem with this, with believing lies and accepting them as our truth, is that we are basing our lives on a lie. Listen closely. It's like building on sand. It will not stand. It will not work. And so today I'd like to talk to you about another common lie that has permeated into the hearts of believers today by addressing the topic I'm in need. I'm in need. Now listen, whether you believe in Jesus or not, we all know what it is to identify with this, this sense, this belief that we're in need. And I know what some of you are thinking right now. You're thinking, this makes no sense. I'm in need right now. You don't understand the bills that I have piling up. For some of you, you're saying, my marriage is hurting. For some of you, you're saying, look, I have needs for my business. My heart is in need of healing. My career is stagnant. My life isn't where I want it to be. I, I, I'm not, things aren't clicking the way I expect them to. But I submit to you that the needs that you perceive to be your truth are the limits keeping you from accepting what you are truly in need of. I'm going to say that again. The needs you perceive to be your truth are the limits keeping you from accepting what you are truly in need of. Let me prove it to you. Psalm 34 verse 10 says this, The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. I want you to notice that God is emphatic about what he has provided. He says that if your heart is to seek him, if you are pursuing a relationship with God, it doesn't mean that you've got it together. Ta-da, none of us do. Wake up. It's the truth. None of us have arrived. But if your heart is intent upon seeking Jesus, then the scripture says that you will lack no good thing. You know what the problem is? We, we, we label something good that isn't. And we, we forsake the goodness of God and what God is providing and what God is even trying to show us. Psalm 37 verse 25 says, I was young 
and now I'm old. In other words, I've lived the span of life, is what David is saying here. He says, and yet I have never seen the righteous forsaken. How often? Never. I have never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging bread. Hmm. Listen to Romans 8.32. He who did not spare his own son. Get the picture here. Get, get this picture. If somebody says, man, I want to bless you, and they go in their pocket and they pull out a couple of pennies, you go, nah, I'm no not, I'm not good, right? You're giving me spare change. Listen to what God did when he dug into his pocket for humanity. It says, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us some things? Is that what it says? It says all things. All things. Now, think about the moments when you have believed you're in need. Maybe it's right now at this moment. Let me ask you, what were you lacking? What are you lacking? Now, here's, here's where our mind goes. I have financial needs. I, I need breakthrough in a challenging area of my life. I need answers. I need direction. I need healing in a particular part of my life. I mean, the list goes on and on. But I want you to consider this. I want you to consider this. That those were the results you wanted. And in, and in light of what's most important, here's the thing. What you really are lacking is what God has provided. He is your need. He is your need. Now, when God is all you need, you'll see breakthrough in the results that you want. When God is all you need, you'll see breakthrough in the results that you want. So in the Bible, we have a great example that comes from the life of a guy named Abram. And this guy, Abram, lived among a people from a region known as Ur of Chaldees, uh, according to what most Bible scholars believe and the, the timing and all that. They believe that Abram came up in the third dynasty of Ur of Chaldees. And these Chaldeans, they were a sophisticated people. They were advanced in many ways, but they were pagans. They did not believe in God. In other words, everything that they accomplished was, these, these people were self-made. They depended on their limited wisdom. They depended on their science. They depended on, on their resources. It kind of sounds like the world we live in today. Now, here's the thing. It, this, this place, Ur of Chaldees, was well-suited. It was a well-suited land for raising flocks and herds. And it was located at a place where the Euphrates River uh, empties into the Persian Gulf. And so it was a bustling seaport where trade was conducted with foreigners from India and Africa and other regions of the known world. These people were a highly organized people. They developed highly organized bureaucracies through which they governed their realm. They were doing things nobody thought of in those days. They created and maintained structures for water resources and flood management. They used sophisticated architectural methods that have served to inform how we build um, buildings till this very day. They excelled in the arts and music, and they were well beyond their times as evidenced by cuneiform writings that detailed the complexity of their economy and their societal makeup. 
These people were the cream of, of the crop. This is where Abram was from. This is where God approached him. It would appear that Abram had all that he needed in life. He had money, he had status, he had education, he had resources. But he didn't have God. He didn't have God. And in the midst of the lie that he was living, God presents himself to him and reveals to him the truth. Listen to Genesis chapter uh, 11, verses 1 through 5. It says, the Lord said to Abram, I'm sorry, Genesis 12, I'm sorry. Uh, the Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. So God's saying, leave this place, and I'm going to show you the land that I want you to go to. He says, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. Watch this. And so Abram went, as the Lord told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. This guy, Lot, was his nephew. And he took his wife, Sarai, his nephew, Lot, and all the possessions they had, that they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Right? So God told them to leave what appeared to be good for what was promised to be great. And that's a promise unto you and I when we follow after Christ. It gets better and better. Listen, you might be good without God, but it's not great. As a matter of fact, it's not even good. It's an illusion, right? And so at face value, it sounds like everything was peaches and cream after God told him to leave. But it wasn't. Abram faced needs like you and I. But he never lacked because he learned to depend on God completely. Now, there appears, it appears that there came the day when God's blessing wasn't enough in Abram's, in Abram's life. And he found himself in what he perceived to be a great need until God brought clarity. This day was like any other day. Abram was living with the blessing and favor of God, and he remained in relationship with God. But something was brewing behind the scenes. There had been some tension that was developing between several kingdoms, and they began to divide themselves and ally with, create alliances, and, and this uh, eventually led to a great war. I want you to see how this played out in relation to what we're talking about. In Genesis 14, verses 8 through 24, it says, Then the king of Sodom, the king of Gomorrah, the king of Adma, the king of Zeboim, and the king of Bela, that is, Zoar, marched out and drew up their battle lines in the valley of Siddim against Kedor Laomer, king of uh, Elam, Tadal, king of Goim, Amraphel, king of Shinar, Ariok, king of Elisar, four kings against five. Now the valley of Siddim was full of tar pits, and when the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled, some of the men fell into them, and the rest fled to the hills. So get this. These guys just got routed. They got beat bad, and they're on the run now. 
And it says, And the four kings seized all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their food, and then they went away. And they also carried off Abram's nephew Lot and his possessions since he was living in Sodom. A man who had escaped came and reported this to Abram, the Hebrew. Now Abram was living near the great trees of Mamre, the Amorite, a brother of Eshcol and Aner, all whom were allied with Abram. And when Abram heard that his relative had been taken captive, he called out the 318 men, uh, trained men born in his household and went in pursuit as far as Dan. During the night, Abram divided his men to attack them and he routed them as far, I'm sorry, pursuing them as far as Hobah, north of Damascus. So Abram obliterated five kings. I mean, four kings. So he went after them. And he beats these guys, right? So watch what happens. He recovered all the goods and brought back his relative Lot and his possessions together with the women and the other people. And after Abram returned from defeating Kedor Loomer and the kings allied with him, the king of Sodom came out to meet him in the valley of Shaveh, that is the king's valley. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, this was a priest, um, brought out uh, bread and wine, and he was priest of God Most High. And he blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, and praise be to God Most High, who delivered your enemies into your hand. Then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. The king of Sodom said to Abram, Give, give me the people and keep the goods for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, With raised hand, I have sworn an oath to the Lord God most high creator of heaven and earth that I will accept nothing belonging to you, not even a thread or the strap of a sandal so that you will never be able to say I made Abram rich. I will accept nothing but what my men have eaten and the share that belongs to the men who went with me to Anir, Eshkol, and Mamre. Let them have their share. So prior to this moment, Abram had nothing to do with this conflict. But then he receives word that his nephew Lot was taken captive with the people of Sodom. And not just, not, not just Lot and the people of Sodom, but the, the scriptures clearly tell us that they took everything from these kingdoms. And so, as we read, Abram sprang into action. And he brought about a great victory that not only brought the recovery of his nephew Lot, but also the people of these kingdoms. And he brought about a great deliverance. And so he really had a great victory as he defeated four kingdoms, right? And so, and he stripped them of great spoils. So when the king of Sodom hears of this, he comes to Abram, as we read, and he does what is right according to the customs of those days. He says to Abraham, give me my people and you take all the spoils of the war. No, you got, now you got to understand that in those days, that meant quite a bit. Because that included weaponry, it included riches, it included livestock, it probably included servants. So imagine having all the spoils from four kingdoms given to you. In other words, Abram was set. He was set. But instead of accepting them, here's what we see that Abram gives a tenth as an offering to the Lord. And he rejects the rest from the king of Sodom. 
Now, it would appear at this point that Abram was left with nothing. But as we see, he was depending on the Lord as his provider. Now, it sounds like he has no concern, right? Sounds like up until this point, you know, yeah, this guy really depended on God. He's good. He's not worried. Listen to Genesis 15.1. It says, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. Now, listen, just because Abram had confidence in God does not mean he did not have needs. So he was afraid, we see. Right after this great battle and and giving up all these spoils, he's afraid. Why else would God tell him, don't be afraid, Abram? He was afraid. This guy was afraid, and, and, he, and to make matters worse, if you study the scriptures, he had no child in his old age. And so, in the face of his fears and worries, God reassures him and us. And watch what God says to me. He doesn't say, don't worry about it, Abram. I'll provide you a paycheck. Don't worry about it, Abram. I'll provide you a place to live. Don't worry about it, Abram. I'll provide you the clothing you need. Don't worry about it, Abram. I'll provide you the food that that, that you lack. Don't worry about it, Abram. I'll provide for your children. He didn't say any of that. What he said to him was, don't worry, Abram. Don't be afraid. I am your exceedingly great reward. I am your exceedingly great reward. He says, I'm all you need. Now, What's the truth that we learn here? What do we see here? The first point that I want to leave you here for the next couple of moments that I have is this, is that God is not only your provider. God is your provision. I'm going to say that again. God is not only your provider. God is your provision. Now, we've got to dig into that to really understand that. It's obvious that Abram had needs just like you and me. But Abram was not seeking the fulfillment of his needs from the hands of men. Now, I want you to think about this for a moment, just for yourself. When it comes to need, who are you looking to? When it comes to need, what is it that you believe you need? got to think about that. What is it that you think you need? What's your list? I'll tell you why I ask you that in a second. Let's, 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 let's dig into this. So, as I said, Abraham had needs just like you and I, but he wasn't seeking the fulfillment of his needs from the hands of men. Instead, what we see is that Abram sought God. He did not seek God for his needs. He sought God because he needed him. He did not seek God for his needs. He sought God because he needed him. And we got to really think about that because as people, we've fallen into the trap of seeking God for things. 
Just think about how you pray. God, I need an increase in my finances. God, I need you to work out my marriage for me. God, I need you to, to provide me a means of promotion. God, I need X, Y, and Z. Listen, while that sounds noble that we go to God and we talk to God about our, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with talking to God about the circumstances pertaining to life. There's nothing wrong with that. God cares. He does care. But what I'm giving you here from the word, not my opinion, from the word, is to see that many times what we do is we replace God for what we want from God. And that's a dangerous place to be in because while it sounds noble that we're seeking God for things, what we're really doing is seeking what God can do for us. We have no interest in God. So, I'm seeking you for finances, God. Well, the scripture says that he gave you the power to create wealth. Why are you asking him for money when he's giving you the skill and he's saying, go step out and I'll show you the opportunity? Not my opinion. It's the scripture. Well, God, I'm seeking you for healing from this, uh, uh, th this ailment that I suffer in my body. Well, the scripture says that he was bruised for your transgression. He was crushed for your iniquity. The chastisement for your peace was upon him, and by his stripes you were healed. We're asking God to heal us, and what we're forsaking is the truth that he did his part. It's provided already. Now, I get it. For some people, this rubs them the wrong way. Because we want to give me God. We just want God to do it all for us. But we fail to realize the truth that God, the scripture says that we are each to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. In other words, in, all, in other words, I've provided you everything you need for salvation. Now you go walk it out and work it out. Oh, man. This is, this is going to rough, rough with some feathers. But you love me, right? You love me, right? Oh man, I don't, I don't, I don't want, I don't want, I don't want to go there. No, I don't, I don't want to go there. I don't want to go there. Listen, listen, li li listen, listen. Hold your horses, brother. Calm down. <laughs> listen, man. We can't use God. And that's really what it boils down to. We try to use God. We try to use God. Look, I'd like you to consider how you would respond if someone approached you this way and they said, I'd like to be married to you so that I can feel loved. I, I, I want you to think about this. I'd like you to... Consider how you would respond if somebody said to you, I'd like you to be, I'd like to be your friend so that you can be there for me. I'll, 
think about this. I'd like you, I'd like to be in a relationship with you so that you can advance my interests. How many of you are buying into that? Good, you're smart. You wouldn't. What makes us think that relationship with God works that way? Well, I want you to think about the words of Jesus in Matthew 6, 31 through 33. He says, therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? Watch this. For after all these things the Gentiles seek. So here's what Jesus is saying then. He's saying people who are far from God. That's what he's talking about there. Those Gentiles. Now I get it. We're Gentiles. We're not Jews. These are people that weren't Jews. Gentiles are people that aren't Jews. But in context here, Jesus is talking to a people who have God. They are the people of God. That's you. That's me. That's us. And so he says, he says, don't worry, by say, you don't worry and say to yourself, what shall we eat or what, what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For after all these things, people that are far from God, that's how they seek God. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. See, Jesus says unbelievers approach God that way. They concern themselves with what they shall eat and what they shall drink and what they shall wear. In other words, he's saying people apart from God approach life this way. It's about me. Their perceived needs above their need for God. So I have a question for you. Is God good enough for you? Is he good enough? Is he all you need? See, unbelievers, people apart from God, far from God, unrenewed in their belief and in their thinking, they believe that way. But you, believer, you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You seek God. And as a result, everything will be added unto you. Everything. Everything. So I want to encourage you, don't put your provision ahead of your provider. Don't put your provision ahead of your provider. Even Jesus says, he knows your needs. Here we are talking to God and saying, God, I need this. And he's saying, I've already provided that. I already knew you were going to say that. I understand that's a concern for you. But are you concerned with this relationship, you and me? The second thing I want to leave you with here is that the perception of what you need is really an indication of what you lack. The perception of what you need is really an indication of what you lack. Here's what I'm talking about. If you are driven, if you are motivated, if you are centered upon something as opposed to someone, the only one, then what it really indicates is what you really lack. If you've ever been in need of something, then you know that there's a host of things that come with it. Worry, stress, anxiety, fear, impatience. All of these symptoms indicate the lack of something greater than what we perceive our need to be. 
Listen to Philippians 4, 6, and 7. It says, be anxious for nothing. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So what we see here is that we're instructed as children of God to not be anxious about anything. Not to be anxious about anything, but instead we should come to God by prayer and supplication. But we got to understand what the scripture is saying. That word prayer there is the Greek word prosuke. And here's what it implies. It implies the act of talking to God, but it has nothing to do with asking. You know what, you know what prosuke indicates? Worship. Let me ask you a question. Do your needs come before your worship of God? That word supplication there is the Greek word diasis. And it, it literally, uh, it, it speaks of seeking from a place of supply. So when you come in supplication, what it's saying is you're coming into the storehouse where the supply already is, and you're saying, I'll take that, I'll take that, I'll take that. I'll take that because it's already mine. It's already been provided. It's where you enter in and you partake. It's the reason why Jesus said these famous words. Ask and you shall receive. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door will be open to you. You know why? Because you already have it. Now get this. Notice this. The scripture says be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, make your request known to God. So that's the part where we approach God in worship. We enter the storehouse. But watch what the scripture says God supplies us. Notice what you receive when you ask. Look at verse uh, 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ. Notice what it doesn't say. And the check you've been waiting for. Listen. It's not what you're declaring to him as your need that you receive. Instead, what you receive is the peace which goes past your understanding that guards your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Listen, when you're perplexed with worry and weighed down by what you think you need, God gives you the peace to receive it. Listen, God gives you what you really lack. You know why? Because it's, it's peace in his presence, which gives you access to the power, the protection, the provision, everything that God has already supplied you for life and godliness. Do you know that the scripture says that you've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus? Here we are saying, oh God, bless me. Let's think about that. But you're already blessed. Well, God, provide for me. Well, he's already provided for you. He's giving you everything that pertains to life and godliness in Christ Jesus. Right? That's why God said to Abram, and he says to us, I am your exceedingly great reward. I'm all you need. I'm all you need. 
you know, peace opens the door to supply because it provides you what you need to remain in the place of trust in God alone. I'm going to say that again. Peace opens the door to, su to supply because it provides you what you need to remain in the place of trust in God alone. You know what peace does? It overrides your thoughts. It overrides your issues. It overrides what you see. And it reassures you and it tells you God is still good. God is still faithful. God has already provided. And thus, you can continue to follow God faithfully and walk in peace. Man, I wish I had some more time, but I don't. I'll leave you with this last point. God will not leave you. That's an important point. Because we're talking about God being all that we need. You know, this isn't abstract. This isn't something foreign. This isn't, you know, like something pie in the sky. The presence of God in your life is the guarantee of his provision. And when the time came for Jesus to bring to an end his earthly ministry, the disciples were distraught and they were anxious. Go check it out for yourself. They questioned where he was going, why they couldn't go with him, and what was to come. And while Jesus was with them, everything worked. Listen, the miracles were flowing, right? Provision abounded. Lives were transformed. Listen, there was one day where all they had was two pieces of fish and five loaves of bread, and Jesus multiplied it. Talk about provision. It was all in his hand. He blessed it, and it multiplied and so they had all that they needed. And their lives had been greatly impacted and transformed. So when Jesus told them that he had to leave, that the time had come, they had an overwhelming sense that everything that they had with him was coming to an end. They felt abandoned. And I'll, I'll prove it to you. Listen to the words of Jesus in John 14, verses 18 through 20, he's addressing what's in their hearts. He says, I will not leave you orphans. You're worried about your provision. You're worried about your shelter. You're worried about what I started. You're worried about the promise that I gave you that you would do greater works than these that I've done. You're worried. He says, I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you a little while longer and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Watch this. Because I live, you will live also. Amen. At that day you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. They were missing the fact that he would still be with them. They weren't just worried about his presence. They were worried about his provision. No longer being there. Man, when we spin our wheels worrying, we neglect the one that we worship. We cease to pursue God. You know, when Jesus said to them, because I live, 
you will live also. You know what he's really saying there in the Greek? It, that, that word live there, it talks, it talks about a life, but it equates it to a, a river of flowing water, living water. You know, oftentimes when it comes to God in our lives, we treat him like a trickle. We view God's presence as so small. I'll prove it to you. He's the last one you consult. But you know, the Mississippi River is a well-known river in the entire world. It's a powerful river. As a matter of fact, it encompasses, it goes through two-thirds of this country. It provides means for travel and commerce and tourism and all kinds of stuff. But do you know that the Mississippi River starts off as a trickle? As a trickle, you would see it and you would go, there is no way that's the Mississippi River. And so when Jesus says, because I live, you will live also, what he's saying is this. He's saying, because I am full, I am blessed, I am active, there's a flow that comes from me. You also are full, you also are blessed, you also are active, and there's a flow through you and to you. See, God is with you. There's nothing small about that. All that you need is found in all that God is to you. He says, I'm your need. I'm your need. As we stand here and we come to a close, you know, I'm reminded years ago when we started this ministry, some of you are familiar with what I'm about to say. We left to zero, or, or at least we thought we did. We were youth pastors at a thriving church. We made very, a very good income. But we felt the call of God, and, and I can relate to maybe how Abram felt where God said, leave, leave it all, and go where I'm going to show you. And that, that was hard. It took me a year to get to that point. But when I finally left, I had a concern. You see, I had two kids in college, and we were paying for it. At a mortgage, two vehicles and a motorcycle. That's a lot of insurance. <laughs> I had all these cares, all these, these worries, all these concerns, and I remember one day my wife looking at me and saying to me, what did we just do the day after? We were done. And I remember that that morning, God had showed me something from his word. It was Genesis 15, 1. And God spoke this to me as clear as day. He says, Jose, don't be afraid. I'm your exceedingly great reward. That night, a door opened up for me of provision in a conversation with a friend. God led me to open up a consulting company and listen, for two and a half years, I made more money alone than we did together in the previous place. I'm gonna tell you why that's important because starting this ministry and all the, the preparation and all the work, I couldn't do it and work. But God made a way for my wife to be able to work at the church for free while I was out doing what I'm doing and still teaching, and God brought people. 
and God brought talents and God brought gifts and God brought uh, uh, people that loved him and loved people and bought into the vision and, and the mission of what God called us to. And I, and I still, I, those words are so personal to me. Because I can tell you that when I thought I needed money and I thought I needed a job and I thought I needed all these things, all I needed was God. All you need is God. Depend on him. Turn to him. Trust him. He is your exceedingly great reward. Father, today we come to you in the precious and mighty name of Jesus. And Lord, I thank you that for each and every person here, you have provided for them. And I pray according to Ephesians 1.17, Lord, that the eyes of their heart may be enlightened in order they may know the hope to which you have called them. The great riches and in, in glory and in, in the inheritance that you've given them amongst the saints. In Christ Jesus, your power towards them, Lord. Lord, today we say thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for being our provision. And Lord, we declare with our hearts, with our mouths, with our minds, with all that we are, you are all I need. Come on, if you believe that, say that with me. God, you are all that I need. Now come on, now give it up. God is good. It's possible that there's someone joining us here today, or maybe you're online with us, and you're hearing this message, and you've placed an emphasis on what you thought you needed. It could be money, it could be relationships, whatever it is. But here's what you and I both know. It's not enough. It's why we continue pursuing it. It's why we're never satisfied. It's why we always want more. There is only one flow of life that is enough, that's more than enough. It's God. And today, if you believe that and you find yourself at a place where you're saying, God, I, I recognize that I need you, then here's what you need to know. You need to know what God provided. The Bible says that God so loved you that he gave his one and only son. That while, the scripture also says that while you were still yet a sinner, Christ died for you. And so there was an issue that Stop the flow of life from God to you. It's an issue called sin. It's not the things you do. It's what you became apart from God. And so because a man messed it up, it took a man to make it right. And Jesus came in the form of a man to do that for you and me. And so today, here's what I need you to know. That the price has been paid for the thing that caused the deficiency in your life. And the scriptures promise that from this point forward, you have a new life. You are a new creation, that he has provided all that you need for life and godliness. That means relationship with him, that you're blessed with every spiritual blessing. So if you believe that today, if you believe that God loves you that much, then pray this with us. Say, Jesus, I believe you are all that I need. I believe you're the son of God. I believe you died and you rose again. I believe you paid the price for me because you love me. Today I confess, you are my Lord, you are my Savior, you are my God. And from this day forward, I'm trusting you and I call you my exceedingly great reward. Come on, if you prayed that for the very first time, we're celebrating God as your provision. We thank God for all he's doing in your life. 
Now, Father, we thank you for all you've done. We thank you for Jesus in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. We'll see you again next Sunday. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us here at Church of the Bridge today. I pray that you had a personal encounter with God, that he spoke to you powerfully, and that he met you at your place of need with this message. I also want to encourage you to go ahead and subscribe to our YouTube page. By doing so, you'll be able to check out past messages, uh, past events that we've done. You'll also be able to see what's happening now and those things that are to come. And lastly, I'd like to invite you to join with us in all that God is doing with your giving. Feel free to do so on our website. Again, thank you again for joining us, and I can't wait to connect with you. Next.